How many of you have watched any of the news this weekend? It's, uh, there were, I will say something that I just think is a commercial that we all need to remember. Uh, the, the things that have happened, the tragedies, we've seen shootings, we've seen people sending bombs in the mail. How many of you know that is not the left or the right? That is the devil. Come on. The, there is a real enemy, and it's not people on the fringe side of the political spectrum. It's the devil who causes people to do evil and crazy things. So as the church, can we keep that in the forefront of our mind, that we are engaged in a real battle, but it's not fighting with natural weapons. We don't wage war as the world wages war. We have the power of what we did in this room this morning. We prayed together. We have the name of Jesus. There is a real enemy, but it's not those people that did the acts. It's the devil who's inspiring people to do crazy and evil things. So that's part of our responsibility as the church is to remember that we have the power to defeat the real enemy. And uh, I will say in a week and a half, go vote, do your political duty, enjoy the freedom that we have in this country, but don't forget to pray that there is a real enemy. And God so loves people that he doesn't want the stuff that we saw this weekend in our city to happen. That, that, is, that is evil, it's ungodly, they murdered people, it's horrible. And we have the power to stand up and pray, Lord, break the power of the enemy. <laughs> remove the crazy and the evil from our world and let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your love be seen. Let us be ambassadors of that love to people. And we'll, we'll hit on that a little bit more. Uh, I also do know that uh, this week is Halloween. This is my 32nd annual Halloween commercial. Do you know that October 31st is the day that the Lord has made? And, and Jesus is still Lord on Halloween. So you don't have to be in fear. You don't have to cower in your house and turn the lights off and, and run scared in the closet somewhere. Do what you want to do, whatever you've prayed and you've decided to, to do with your family that night. Do it and be blessed and be at peace knowing that Jesus is still on the throne on Halloween. You don't have to think, oh, it's so evil. It's the most evil night of the year. Jesus is still Lord, still the day the Lord has made. Can I get an amen on that? All right, thank you. <laughs> We're, uh, we're wrapping up our, our series on iChurch this morning, and uh, thank you for being here with us uh, this whole month, and thank you for bringing your phones and making sure they were silenced while we were talking. Uh, how many of you realize that the church really can do things that your iPhone can do? That anything that any app you have on your phone, I'm, I just said iPhone, I'm shilling Apple up here. Like, uh, if you've got a Galaxy or some kind of Android phone, I didn't mean to offend you. Please forgive me right off the bat. Uh, there are things that we can be doing. That was the whole premise of our series. Phones aren't just phones anymore. There's an app to do things. And the church should be able to do everything your phone can do. Only the church can do it better because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus. Uh, so the, the first week we talked about people use their phones to connect. The church connects people to Jesus in his body. And we do it better than any app ever could. Uh, the second week we said people use their phones to get directions. And how many of you know that Jesus has a plan for our lives? We get direction from him because we get to hear his voice and implement what he has for us. Uh, last week we said that people use their phones to answer questions. And uh, that was actually very liberating. I heard from some people after uh, Sunday last week that said they were raised in an environment where it wasn't okay to ask questions about their faith. And, and somebody actually told me, as a, as a young mom, they said they had been raised where they always heard this phrase, you've got to have childlike faith. And how many of you have ever heard somebody say childlike faith means you just believe what God says? Like, you don't question, you just, God said it, I believe it. Seeing the bumper sticker. Like, she said, that's not how my kids work. 
my kids ask questions all day long. They, they don't just take your word for it. They ask questions all day long. And it was like a revelation to her. This young mom told me, man, childlike faith really means it's okay to ask God questions and continue to ask him because it develops a relationship for, with him. And that is the ultimate goal is to develop a relationship with Jesus because he is the answer. The answer is not a set of words that you could put on a piece of paper. The answer is a person. His name is Jesus. And the church helps people find the answer more than any app on your phone ever could. And uh, this week, I just want to give you two thoughts as we're wrapping up this series. And uh, to do that, the first thing, last week we said that technology has really changed the way we think about our views about what's okay or how we get things accomplished. Uh, last week, we, we famously said, we put a little meme up on the screen that talked about we all invited wiretaps into our home. You know, 40 years ago, we were worried about the government wiretapping our phones. Now we ask our wiretap for information. And uh, I found another one this week, something that has really changed in the last 20 years of how we think technology works and what we think is okay. If you go ahead and put that next thing up there. How many of you know in 1998, the, the big thing. We said, don't get in a car with a stranger. That was, that was what we told our kids. In 2008, you know, the internet started taking off. We said, don't meet people from the internet alone. In 2018, we have this thing called Uber, where you can get the internet to send you a stranger, and you can get into your car with them alone. How many of you know that that's changed? Technology has changed how we think about things and how things work in life. We never, we never would have thought that 20 years ago. I'm going to get in a car with a stranger alone, and now it's like, hey, I'm going to get somebody from the Internet to come pick me up. All kinds of things change because of the tech that's changed in our lives and how things get accomplished in our lives. And it made me think of another thing that's changed in the past 20 years is I believe people today use their phones to find love. How many of you, and come on, this used to have a stigma attached to it. Like, like 20 years ago, the, the internet was just taken off. It was Al Gore had just invented it. How many of you remember that far back? Uh, the internet was just taken off, and it was, there was almost this stigma. Like, you, you actually met somebody that you met online? Like, like, you talked to somebody in person that you met through the internet? There was like this stigma and this fear of it. In 2018, but it depends on what study you look at, between 20 and 30% of the new marriages that will take place this year started because somebody met online. Come on, talk about a shift in how we thought about things and what was okay. Come on, I'm not, I'm not telling all the single people in the room to go home and update your profile and, and get online. But I'm just telling you, we, it's shifted what we think about things and what's okay and what's normal. 20 to 30%. Odds are that there is somebody, you may not even know it, but there is probably somebody in your circle of friends that's married that it started through an online relationship. Isn't that an amazing thought to think how that shifted? People are using their phones to find love. And uh, I think once they meet, they definitely use their phones to grow and to deepen that relationship. And uh, I will say this. This is just a side note. If your relationship has turned into, I love my phone more than I love the people I've met on my phone, you need to fix something. There, there's something out of whack. And, and my wife is amening and writing that down to show me later after our sermon today. So, so if your relationship has turned into, I used my phone to find love to actually love my phone. Come on, how many of you discovered that? You love your phone, but you hate everybody else's. 
Come on, I'll say it one more time. How many of you discovered, like, you love your phone, but you hate everybody else's? Like, it's nothing to say, like, hey, I'll text all day long, I'll look stuff up, but, man, you're, you looked at your phone while we are trying to have a conversation. Put that thing away. Come on. That's what, that's what it's come to in the world, is we hate everybody else's phone, but we couldn't live without ours. All right, I got to get back on my notes. That was, that was a little bunny trail there. Uh, so I, I think, obviously, the point I'm trying to make is better than any app you could ever have on your phone the church can help people find love. How many of you know that? That, is, that should be part of our main job as the church, is to help people find and discover that they are loved. We are, and come on, I'm not talking about just romantic love. I don't care what kind of love it is, brotherly love, platonic love, romantic love. I think every kind of love that you could think of is some reflection of a facet or an aspect of God's nature and who he is. God's love is the originator of every kind of love that you could see in the world today. And part of what we are called to do as the church is help people connect to his love. And that's, that's why we exist. We're actually in this room today because of love. Come on, can I get an amen on that one? We, we are in this room. How, did it, how are we in this room even? We're in this room because Jesus came to earth, walked on this earth, a sinless life, and he died on the cross for us. And the entire reason that Jesus came is why? For God so loved the world. That's, we are in this room because of love. If love didn't exist, Jesus wouldn't have come. We wouldn't be gathered in this room this morning. So of everything that you could think of, why do we gather on Sunday mornings? What, is it to worship? Is it to pray together? We are here because he loves us, and we are called to represent that to the world. That, that is part of our job. Everyone in the world needs love. I'll, and all these songs just popped into my head right at this moment. And I'm not going to sing any of them, but uh, I, all you need is love. So we'll, we'll stop with that one, and I won't go down the song lyric road this morning. But everybody in the world needs love, whether we think it about them or not. Come on, I've, I've met some people that you, just, you would rather stay away and avoid them, but even that person needs love. And uh, this was a fascinating list I found this week. Uh, here are characteristics. These are behaviors in adults, unhealthy behaviors in adults that stem from them not being loved as children. Come on, this, this, just, I don't have the list on the screen. You can see the title, but I'm going to give you the list. But just think about this for a second. Not receiving love as a child actually impacts us for the rest of our lives and causes these behaviors to come out in our lives. This is very sobering to me. Uh, a lack of trust. Come on, it leads to all kinds of controlling and manipulative behavior in adults. We have a lack of trust, and studies have shown part of that comes from not being loved as a child. Here's another behavior is poor emotional intelligence. That means you don't know how to process your feelings. Like everything is overwhelming. Your highs and lows aren't, aren't like normal and leveled out like everybody. They're wild swings of I don't know how to deal with that emotion that I'm feeling right now. Part of it comes from not being loved as a child. Here's, here's another one, fear of failure. Come on, there's people that won't take a risk to do anything. They're, they're so stuck in where they are, they're afraid to step out. Some of it comes from not receiving love when you were growing up. Uh, toxic relationships. Has anybody ever, well, maybe I don't want to show hands, if you've been a part of a toxic relationship. Come on, think about the bad things that happen in relationships, anger and abuse, and, and toxic people seem to kind of find toxic people and they connect together for some reason. Some of it comes from not receiving love when you were a child. Think, how many of you know people that all of a sudden we're going through this list and you're thinking about these people are popping into your head? Those are people that need to be loved. Uh, insecurity and attachment leads to like codependency and all kinds of strange things, lack of confidence. Uh, depression and anxiety. 
There are several causes for depression and anxiety, but one of them could stem from we didn't receive love properly as a child. And uh, oversensitivity. How many of you have ever seen somebody that's like you want to tell them, don't take it personal? But they always do. Come on, does anybody know anybody like that? And everything, it's like you have to walk on eggshells around because every little thing that you say could set them off. Some of it may come from they didn't receive love as a child. And if, if you get offended or angry or upset at people that exhibit those kinds of behavior, stop that. Can we just stop that and take a step back and say, maybe that person needs to be loved? Come on, why would God put you in a situation with somebody dealing with that kind of behavior and, and prickly to everybody there around and always nobody, no friends, nobody wants to be around them, and he sends me and you, the, the person who is filled with the love of Jesus, who has received it from Jesus, into that situation. Do you think he sent us into that situation with that person to get upset and offended and irritated with them? Thank you for that note. At least some, one person's paying attention and tracking with me this morning. I think he sent us into that situation so we can take a step back and say, you know what, maybe the answer is this person needs to be loved. Maybe, maybe there is a deficit of love in their life that has produced this type of behavior, and I have come with the answer. Come on, that, that is a, like 180 degree out of phase thinking for where most of us live most of the time. Most of us are like, oh, that person, I'm gonna, they're over there, I'm going to go talk over here because I don't want to deal with them. And instead of that, we need to remember, maybe, just maybe, God sent me there to love them. Whatever that might look like, however hard it might be, whatever we need to do in order in ourselves to get to that place, we need to do it. And if you have any of those behaviors, like I'm not saying everybody in this room, if you've got one of those behaviors, you had horrible parents, you never received love, but there may be some places in our lives that we need to look at and examine how... How did I do in receiving love from people? Do I need to just be encouraged today? Do I need to talk about that to tell somebody? Uh, start right here. If you've got any of those behaviors, listen to me very carefully. You are loved. You are loved and you have value. Come on, some of us, some of us really need to hear that more than once even. We need to hear you are loved and you have value. And I think if we really grabbed hold of that, if we really had a rock-solid anchor of the love of Jesus and the love that his people have for us, it would deal with some of those insecurities and those things we're feeling in our lives. I just want to read a couple verses from 1 John to remind us that it is our job description to love people. How many of you realize that's part of what the church is supposed to do? More, more, almost more than anything else, we are called to love people. And here's a couple verses from 1 John chapter 4. Uh, John famously was the apostle who Jesus loved, right? Come on, have you ever read through John's gospel? And he actually talks about himself in third person. He says, the apostle whom Jesus loved was sitting at the table. He's talking about himself. And how did, how was, it almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it? If I, if I stood up here this morning and tried to preach a sermon and said, I am the pastor who Jesus loves. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Like you, you guys would be like, hey, maybe that stage is a little bit too high. We need to, we need to lower you a little bit, knock you down off your, your high horse there. Come on, that's exactly what John was doing when he wrote that. And it wasn't out of arrogance, it was out of confidence because I have looked face to face into his eyes and I know he loves me. Come on. And we need to be at a place where we've experienced him to such a degree that we've seen the face of Jesus to such a degree that I know he loves me. And when you're confident in that, you can turn around and tell other people, you know what, he loves you too. 
Here's 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We just read this verse at our life group a couple weeks ago. This is a great verse in the scripture. John is actually giving a command right here. He's, but it's so, he's so gentle and humble about it, you almost don't realize that's what he's doing. Dear friends, come on, if, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you're my good friend, oh, dear friend, you're going to listen a little bit to what they have to say. That's what John's doing right here. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Come on, he didn't come and just hit people over the head and say, you need to be more loving. Like, has anybody ever been in a church service where you've gotten that? Like, that's, that's not the best way to deliver that message. But John is just as emphatically giving a command here. Because you've experienced it, we also ought to love the people around us. There is something that we've had in our lives that should cause us to love one another. And then he says, no one has seen God, but... Isn't that an amazing thought? He says, no one has seen God, but if you do this, he becomes visible. That's that's what but means in in that verse. He says, no one has ever seen God, but here is the way to make that happen. Here is the way to reveal him to the world. And then what does he go on to talk about? You have to love each other. Isn't that that an amazing thought that we can take someone, the creator of the universe, the invisible God that no one has ever seen in in this verse in 1 John, it says that, but we can make him known to the world. We can make him visible, and it's not through some enormous task. I don't have to build a grand cathedral. I don't have to do all these work. I just have to love people. And when I do that, people begin to see him. And you actually, people begin to say, so that's what he looks like. Come on, Jesus came and he, he told him, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did Jesus do? He went around loving people, healing them, delivering them from the power of the devil. All these things that he did because he was motivated by love began to reveal God to the world. No one has seen God but. And then he goes on to make this amazing statement. He says, God's love is made complete in us. I mean, you know, I got saved and I knew I had nothing to offer to God. It's just, Lord, here, take, take, if you have me, I'll, t- if you'll have me, take me. Like that, we recognize there's nothing that we have to offer him. He didn't need us. But he says, actually, when you love people, come on, think about this for a second. We have nothing to offer God. We all started there. But it says you actually help him in some fashion. It says God's love is made complete in us. There's something about God's love that... It's not to its fullness, it's not to its completeness, unless it gets demonstrated by his people. Talk about something amazing that's in your job description, something that's worth getting up for every morning, more, more than just assembling a widget or doing some task or doing accounting. Like, we have the responsibility of helping God's love may, be made complete in the world and revealing him to people. That, that's something to wake up for and something to live our lives and give ourselves away for. Uh, John goes on in that chapter in 1 John 4. He says, if anyone acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Come on, t- the definition of salvation right there in a little nutshell. If you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God comes and makes his home with you. What a thought. We actually house the presence of the creator of the universe by coming to a place where we acknowledge, Jesus, you are the Son of God. 
He says, God makes his home. God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. <laughs> God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So it starts that verse by just simply acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God opens the door for love to start flowing in our lives. And it says we know and rely on him. Uh, That's a a funny little phrase to me, know and rely. There's two things there, know and rely. I think the more that we know about his love, the more we recognize our need for it and that we can't live without it. We know and rely. The more we know, the more we rely on him. The less we know, the less we think we, oh, we can do without your love, God. We can live our own lives and be our own boss. The more we know, the more we come to rely on his love for us and realize we can't live without it. And then it says, God is love. Come on, how many of you know that that's not just something God has? That's just not an attribute. That really is who he is. That is the essence of who God is. He is love. And if we are supposed to be his representatives in this world, anybody believe that? It's not just me, right? If we are supposed to be his representatives in this world, and it says God is love, what do you think we should be to the world? That's, that was not a trick question. You guys are awesome. Uh, love is the answer. We, if we are representing him, and he is love is himself, then when we go out into the world, there should be something marked about our lives that people look at us and say, they really know how to love people. They are so loving. They're just the same way that John could look at God. God, you are love. People ought to be able to look at the body of Christ and say, you are love in the world. And in 1 John four nineteen, just to finish this little section and, and cap it off, it says, we love because he first loved us. Come on, if we have met Jesus, we have the capacity to love people because he first loved us. We don't get to sit somewhere and say, you know what, people aren't really my thing. <laughs> Anybody ever heard a Christian say that? Oh, yeah, I love, yeah, church is good, the sermon, the word, I love the word. But people, eh, people aren't really my thing. If we've met him, we have the capacity to love people because he first loved us, we can love the world around us. Thank you for that amen, one of them. Is that, let me, I'll read it one more time and everybody can amen with me. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. That is good news right there. I have the capacity to love people to a degree where they would even want to be around me. Come on. Because he loved me first. So we love because he first loved us. Uh, And then verse 20, I love the way it said it in the message. It says, if anybody boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. Ouch. That's an ouch point from John, not an amen. It says, if he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? He finishes, he says, the command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Come on, that is, that is the main evidence of our love for God is how we're treating the people in the world around us. It says we, they will know we are Christians. How? By our love. Not by our great buildings or the songs we do or the programs we put on and the ministry we do. They will know that we belong to him because of the love that we demonstrate to the people around us. We can't separate loving God from loving people. 
If, if you want to do one, you have to do the other. They, they go together. Oh, more song lyrics just popped into my head. But if you want to do one, you've got to do both. We, we love God. We love people. And everybody that comes in contact with us, with the church of Jesus Christ, should experience love to some degree better than any app could ever do it for people. The church can help people find love. Uh, and then this is the last thought I have for this series that I wanted to wrap up. How many of you have ever tried to use an app on your phone and it started to update right when you went to use it? I, yeah, I, I heard a couple, oh, like, you know what I'm talking about. Man, I really want to look that up or do that right now. And you pull up your phone and all of a sudden it's, it's just dialing out like, hey, it's updating. You got to wait a little while to use it. And, and those of you that don't have smartphones, you're just like, I don't know what he's talking about. Trust me, it's frustrating. So it's a first world problem, but it does create frustration in people's lives. And uh, the apps on our phone have to continually update. They, they get out of date. They get behind the times. They get behind the technology. They start to lag. They have to update. And here is my last thought for this series. The church has to continually update. Can I say that this morning in this room? That just like the apps on our phones have to change and stay current, the church has to continually update. Come on, the truth of the gospel never changes. The things that we believe about Jesus don't change, but our methods, the way we engage culture, they have to be open to being changed at all times. They have to be continually moving forward. Come on, I don't know why so many times God put in Scripture that he loves a new song and he does a new thing, but there's something fresh about God that even though the core principles of what we believe never change, the way he does things often change. And I think he does that on purpose to keep us from getting stuck in a rut. Where, come on, how many of you have ever heard the famous say, saying about what a rut is? What's a rut? A rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. Come on, have you ever heard that? Maybe not. Maybe it's not a famous saying. I'm the only one that's heard that. So forget everything I just said. I'll edit that out of the sermon online, and it'll be like I just said it for the first time. Like, that was a great quote from Pastor Chris, new and out of the box. Come on, I think God does a new thing to keep us from getting in a rut. And he will often do it just to stretch us and, and teach us and change us. I Come on, I think New Life Fellowship is great. <laughs> I'm not going to take a vote this morning. I, <laughs> I think the church is great, but I also recognize, you know, there are things that we can always improve. There are things we can do better. There are things we can be more relevant about doing. There are things that need to change and evolve in what we're doing. And the reality is the church is perfectly designed for the people that are already here. I'm like getting ready to step on my own toes here. <laughs> I'll say that one more time. The church is perfectly designed for the people that are already here. But here is a truly revolutionary thought this morning. If we want different people to appear in the room, maybe we have to do something different. Look at your neighbor and say, that's scary. <laughs> and, and if you don't have a neighbor sitting near you, there's an empty seat that we would love to have somebody different and new in it. And to get somebody different and new in it, we might have to do something different and new. I, I don't know what that looks like. There, there may be things that you, we each have to give up a preference that we have or the way we like doing things. Come on, the, the obvious one for most people in churches is, man, I don't really like that style of music. Can't we bring some Southern Gospel back? Like, 
whatever it may be. I don't know what the answer to that question may be. Maybe it's like, man, I really like the blue carpet. Can't we keep the blue carpet forever? Or if that's gray. I'm not. <laughs> whatever color the carpet used to be. Maybe that's your favorite color and that stirs you to worship. Every time I see that carpet with the red chairs in contrast, it reminds me of the blood of Jesus that covers the earth. Like, I don't know what it may be, but there's things that we may need to let go of to change so that the people that aren't here that are different than us can come in the door. Thank you, Jesus, for what you want to do in this place. Ah. And I'm, come on, I'm not exclusively saying it's just everybody else. Like, I, come on, I may have to let go of something I dearly love or is a preference of mine or how I think it should work to see God move and reach who he wants to reach through our church. And it's worth it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Watch, what, watch how Paul talks about this. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 22, he says, I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. Come on, isn't that really what it's all about? It's not about whether I like it, whether I'm comfortable, whether it's my preference. It's about winning people to Christ. That, that is the answer that we're after. And he says, I've done all this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. Come on, you may have a translation. This is where Paul famously says, I've become all things to all men so that I might win some. That's what he's after. He said, hey, for, for Jews that had the law, I, I acted like a good Jew and I related to them. I told them about the old covenant to people that didn't have the law. People that said, hey, I, Paul, I have no idea. What's the Torah? He said, I became just like a Gentile and explained to them. Come on, Paul, the, the Jew of all Jews that was steeped in the Old Testament and knew how to explain that to Jewish people, he goes to a city where he says, hey, you Greek guys that don't have any idea about Judaism, there's, a, there's an altar built to an unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. Let me explain to you from creation and the God that made everything. And we live and we move and we have our being in him. He became all things to all men so that he could win some for Jesus. And that's part of we need to continually update. He didn't, come on, look at, look at that verse. Paul didn't say, I'm endorsing sin. I'm watering down the message. I'm changing what we believe about Jesus. He, I, I tweaked the gospel a little bit to make it more palatable to people. Paul actually says, I did what I did for the gospel because it's so important and so relevant and who Jesus is and wants to be in your life that I did all these things. I, I have no idea what that felt like for Paul, who had been raised his entire life. I don't eat that. I don't go in the house with those people. I, I act this way on Sundays or the Sabbath or whatever day it was. For him to come to a place where he had to say, I had to leave behind everything I grew up with, my entire comfort. That's bacon? What is bacon? Come on. All these things, Paul had to do it, and he did it and left those things behind so he could win people for the sake of the gospel. This is, I think this is what, what, just a couple things from this verse. This is what Paul is declaring are the principles of his ministry. Find common ground with people. You're, you're a Jew? You're not a Jew? You make tents? Like, come on, Paul was a tent maker. Hey, I'm going to meet Priscilla and Aquila, and we're going to travel together because we had making tents in common. Come on, find common ground with people. Don't be a know-it-all. We talked about that last week. You know, there, people, we should want to learn from people as much as we want to teach them something. There, there, there are amazing things to be learned from every person's life. 
And as much as we think, oh, I've got something to tell them, we need to be willing to hear some things too. Uh, accept everybody regardless of their issues. Paul says all things to all men. Like it didn't matter what your background was, where you were coming through. You are loved. Did I, did I forget to say Jesus swipes right on everybody? You know what I mean by that? Swipe right. How many of you, how many of you are familiar with that phrase? At least five people in the room. Come on. It, it came, it originated from a dating app, right? But, you know, oh, here's somebody you might want to meet. Swipe left to say, no, you're not interested. Swipe right to say you are interested. That's, that's become a phrase in modern culture, though, that means, hey, I like something. I approve of it. I want it. You know, that's, that's good for me. I'm going to swipe right. Jesus swipes right on everybody. Come on, 7 billion people in the earth today, and he's swiping right on everybody. I love him, I love her, I love him, I love her. It doesn't matter who they are. He's, he's so stirred Paul with his love that Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that I could win them. And, and Jesus is up there. He's just saying, I love him, I love him, I love him. You, you don't have to fake your profile picture. You don't have to come up with clever things to say, like maybe I can make him love me or maybe I can manipulate him into liking me more. He just looks at you and says, yep, yep. Yep, 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 yep. We need to love people that same way. Gosh, I'm talking about updating, and here we're back to love. Accept everybody. Everybody is loved by God, regardless of their issues and regardless of their background. Doesn't mean you have to embrace all their issues or their different beliefs or the things that you're looking at their life thinking, oh, that's kind of ungodly. That doesn't mean you're accepting and endorsing it. It just means they are loved by God. This, the sinful things that people are doing that they're killing themselves with, God doesn't want that to be in their lives any more than you do. But it starts by them knowing they're loved by the creator of the universe. I think Paul's also saying, hey, be sensitive to the, to the culture of others. Come on, we're, we're called to kingdomize people, not Americanize them. I, that's one of the things that bugged me. I've been on mission trips to Africa, and one of the things that really bugged me is when you go, we went to Africa, and they're like doing these American worship songs. And I'm like, I came all this way to hear how you guys worship Jesus. Like, I can get that at home. Like, we're not called to export our American culture. We're called to export the kingdom. And Paul became all things to all people so that they could become kingdom citizens, not Roman citizens, not Jewish citizens. He became an ambassador for Christ and his kingdom. And then Paul, obviously, I, I think one of the principles of his ministry here is he's, he used every opportunity he had to tell people about Jesus. Hey, I'm, I'm in chains. I just got shipwrecked. I'm making tents with my friends. I'm preaching in the synagogue. It didn't matter where or when it was. He would steer that conversation back to, man, you know who's my best friend? You know who saved me? You know what? I was, I was really the chief among sinners. I thought I was doing God's work, and here I was killing his church. And he would always steer it back to, but you know what? Somebody loved me. Somebody knocked me off my horse and saved me. Whatever it was, he would tell people, here's the gospel. God wants to be known by you, and he made a way for that to happen. Just like the apps on our phone get out of date sometimes, they need to update. We need to update because the gospel is really important. That's an understatement, by the way. The gospel is really important, right? That, that is the understatement of the year. But it, it becomes our responsibility to say, how do we need to update to make sure people are hearing what's most important in their life? Uh, so here's what I would like us to do this week as an action point, some, some take-home stuff that we could do. Uh, if, 
first of all, if you're in this room and you've never met Jesus, you've never experienced that love that he has for you, uh, you can do that this morning. There, we, we, will come, we will pray with you. If you come up afterwards and talk to us, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus and let you know how he can make a difference in your life. Uh, if you're in this room already and you know Jesus, this is what I'd like you to do this week. Intentionally love someone. And I don't know, that's, that might be kind of vague. I'm going to leave that for you guys to pray. What does that look like? Does that mean somebody I wouldn't normally talk to at work? That I'm, I'm just going to smile at them, tell them to have a good day? I, I don't know. It could be something simple like that. It, it could, be, could be making cookies and taking them to your pastor to let him know that... Yeah, Pam says, so I could share them with everybody else in the church. That sounded oddly self-serving, but it wasn't at all. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through me right at that moment. I don't know what it might look like for you. It could be tangible. Hey, I, I bake things. That's how I could show people love. Uh, I, spending time with people. That's something I could do to let somebody know they're important. That person really looks lonely all the time. I'm, I'm going to ask him if he wants to go have a coffee. Intentionally love someone this week. May, maybe that list of behaviors that we were going through earlier, somebody popped into your head right at that moment when we said, oh, they act this way because they weren't loved as a child. If somebody popped into your head in that moment, you better write that name down and call them this week. Find out, hey, what's going on in your life? Intentionally love them this week and let them know that Jesus cares about them. That, that could be terrifying to some of us, but that is what Jesus called us to do. And, and Paul was so moved by it that he said, it doesn't matter what I grew up thinking, where my comfort is, like I am going to become all things to all men for the sake of the gospel. Let's go, go ahead and stand in this place this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you never change, that your love for us is relentless, that it pursued us, that your love is perfect and whole, that, that you don't change, yet you're always doing something new. What, what a mystery to us, God. Let us be those kind of people that we are relentless in our love, but we're not stuck in our ways. God, we ask that you would stir our hearts this week with uh, thoughts of who needs your love. Somebody in our circle of friends, somebody at our workplace, somebody that we meet and we just see the way they're acting. Lord, stir us and remind us of this moment right here, right now, where we pledged and said we're going to intentionally love that person this week. God, we are yours. What you've done in our lives, let it be so overwhelming to us that we can't help but give our lives away for you. Lord, I just thank you that you are alive and active in our lives, that you are doing amazing things, that even uh, this week and this weekend, Lord, you are bringing healing and life to our city. You are mending relationships. You're bringing comfort. You are, you are sending out the call that we are to be ambassadors of your love that will counteract what the darkness wants to do. God, we ask that the things that we do with our lives would make the name of Jesus famous in this city. God, that, that the name of Jesus would be more famous than being known, known for a tragedy that happened or a shooting that occurred. Lord, let the things that we do with our lives cause the name of Jesus to rise to the top in Pittsburgh. God, we, we declare that you are Lord over Pittsburgh. There's no part of the earth that you aren't Lord of. And we, we specifically declare that this morning, that you are Lord over Pittsburgh. And what you want to happen in our city is what's going to happen. 
Lord, use us to be the ones that cause that to come to pass. God, bless us indeed as we go from this place. Let your goodness be seen in every aspect of our lives. Let your presence surround us everywhere that we go, even like a shield, Lord God, where we need protection in the places we walk. Your presence does that for us. God, we love you. We honor you. We give you the glory for what you're doing and ask you to keep doing more of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.